RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. What I can say is that, you know, we, we have sensitive information and we look after it extremely well as a market. You know, it's, it's very, very well protected because of the sensitive nature of that. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Martin Lawson and we're going to discuss contingency insurance. After completing his Master in Economics in Germany, Martin entered the world of insurance in 2007 when he joined International Insurance Company of Hanover, starting out as an intern, but ending up as the assistant underwriter for contingency and sports PA business. He then spent five years at Swiss Re before moving to Dale Underwriting Partners, where he's currently heading up specialty lines, which includes contingency. And that is what we're going to discuss today. So Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Peter. Based on uh, a very quick glance at your CV uh, on LinkedIn, you had no obvious links with insurance before you joined um, into Hanover. So, so what? So, what was it that drew you into the world of insurance? Pretty much by luck, you know. I studied in Germany, and part of my study was to do an internship abroad. I was lucky that my dad worked for Hanover Re in Germany and a subsidiary in London. We were looking for an intern at that time. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's where it started. I've obviously kind of like, like everybody thought insurance sounds quite boring <laughs> from, from the outset. And then, uh, yeah, little did I know, I pretty uh, quickly found out that it's uh, it's incredibly interesting and a very diversified market. And yeah, especially here here in London, it was uh, it was very exciting. And let's start by defining contingency insurance, because my understanding is that it's it, you know it's sort of a a generic name for a number of different types of policies. So could you give us your your definition and then talk us through? the various policies that potentially fall within that that sort of catch-all term contingency yeah it's like every insurance is contingent obviously on a certain event to happen or a certain trigger yeah i think you know if you look back where contingency kind of came from you know the kind of core of it used to be i believe really covered in in the bi part of property policies but it was a little bit different because it's really a non-damage bi cover to most part of it there is obviously it could be a damage to a property that then that then cancels something or, or, or triggers the policy but but that, that's where it was kind of underwritten back in the days this goes you know years and years back and yeah through you know through generally events getting bigger um and and having more financial interests associated to these through tv contracts advertisements people just going and visiting buying tickets for it i think it just kind of fell out of the property class and, and underwriters weren't really happy to cover it anymore because it was really getting bigger than some of these the, the property policies itself and you know that's kind of really where it started to form its own area really of insurance so you know, nowadays, you've got uh, five risk codes at Lloyd's, which is cancellation, non-appearance, film, price indemnity, and miscellaneous contingency. And they really make up the market worldwide. You're probably looking at, you know, it's 
kind of difficult to really put a finger on it, but I would say between one to one and a half billion dollars in premium income in that area. And you mentioned five categories there, but one of which was to do with film, film insurance. We're not going to discuss that uh, today because I'm hoping to cover that in a separate episode at, at some point in the future. So we're going to concentrate primarily on event cancellation. And then towards the end of the, the, our discussion, we'll we'll have the added bonus of touching upon prize indemnity and miscellaneous contingency. So, so let, let, let's start with event cancellation. What are event cancellation policies intended to cover? Yeah, they're, they're really intended to cover the cancellation of an event, abandonment, curtailment, you know, postponement of a, a specific event or a, a series of events. And, you know, we look at everything from sporting events as well as conference and exhibitions down to, you know, private birthday parties sometimes. So you see all sorts of, uh, of different type of events in this area. But the majority is really made up of the large sport events and conference and exhibitions. It's often loss of revenue, you know, ticket revenue, TV revenue, you know, sponsorship revenue or costs and expenses of putting these events together. I, uh, I, I, I quite fancy being invited to a, to a birthday party that required event cancellation insurance. That, that, that sounds like quite some, quite some do by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised, you know, I guess. Look at weddings, for example, you know, it's 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 essentially a event cancellation policy. And do you, do you get invited to these parties as the as the insurer? Rarely. Very, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, less than, than I probably would like to. You know, it's the, the business is all transacted uh, through brokers. And it's a, it's a, it's very much a, you know, financial transaction that uh, and, and a risk transfer. So it's less kind of VIP as people would think. Oh, I'm, I'm disappointed on your behalf. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what sort of things are, are excluded? So prevent cancellation policies. Yeah, well, what, what are the normal exclusions? And have you got any examples where unusual exclusions apply? Because presumably this is a sort of an area where, where the policies are, are quite bespoke. Yeah, you know, from, from the outset, these policies are all risk policies and then you've got exclusionary language that list has a list of exclusion and you know the typical ones are you know war terrorism um ncbr uh, sorry what's that re- ncbr re- re- so nuclear chemical bio- biological reactions okay. um, contamination you know and financial difficulties and, and things like that and then you've got certain exclusions that can be bought back because there are errors that can be underwritten. And, you know, your the main one really for cancellation and, and also an appearance is weather, which you can buy back, especially, you know, for outdoor events. And then you've also got terrorism, civil commotion, catastrophic non-appearance in, in some cases as well. And up until January 2020, also communicable disease. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah which you, you, you can't buy back at this point. We'll come back to that in a moment. So, And I imagine when people are buying their normal events, sporting events, that's fine. But presumably concerts and music tours and things like that, and you're dealing with kind of potential celebrities. And so presumably there might be some interesting non-disclosure arguments that crop up, for example, situations where 
where, where the cause of the cancellation was something that was known but not disclosed prior to the inception of the policy, such as, I don't know, a, a key individual's illness or habit, let's yeah. put it politely like that, or or, or what have you. So, so, so I guess what sort of questions do you ask before agreeing the risk? And, and, and well, to put it bluntly, how intrusive are you in your questions? Sure. Yeah. First of all, it's it's very uncommon, and you know brokers do a, a very good job on that. You know, in, insureds know that they have to declare material facts um, to insurers. You know, go back to event cancellation. You've you've got you know pretty detailed proposal forms that insureds need to fill out and declare everything that could have an impact on the risk and then and on the underwriting. And then in addition to that, on non-appearance, you, you have a you know a medical questionnaire similar to your you kind of your private insurance. Now, you know, they are fairly detailed and some instances probably more detailed than what you would expect just based on the nature of the individuals that we insure. But as I said at the beginning, we really don't see a lot of issues around non-disclosure. It's a very professional environment. And as I said, yeah, brokers do a good job or to kind of communicate that as well. That's the important point. Any Anything else is just going to end up in front of a court. And usually everyone loses there apart from the lawyers. So, so, not, so not everyone loses, Martin. Not everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. That's true. So how I mean, following on from that, uh, in in general terms, how bespoke are the policies? Yeah, less bespoke than you would think. The Lloyd's market is incredibly good at pooling knowledge and information. You know, you know, much better than you see in other territories. You've got standardized Lloyd's market wordings, and that really counts for an awful lot of business that we write is written on these wordings and with these proposal forms. Now, for some clients and for some risks, it makes sense that they are that bespoke. There are, you know, event organizers around that are different to others artists different to others and you can't use the kind of standard wording for everything so it's, it's still there and you know to some extent i think we should also be able to offer something like that we should be able to negotiate off the norm and, and as long as we um, we charge the right price for it and we can manage our our exposures correctly and uh, you've already mentioned uh, that event cancellation policies can cover any type of event really um so conferences uh, sporting events, um, kind of or whatever, but 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 some will obviously involve uh, celebrities and uh, will give rise to uh, kind of very interesting claims. Um, some of which uh, kind of hit the headlines, but I suspect many of which do not. Now, obviously, you will have information uh, that is not in the public domain, uh, and clearly, uh, we can't discuss any of that. But um, come on, come on, Martin, go on. There must be something you can share with us. Yeah, this is a minefield uh, for me, as you can imagine. You know, I, I can't obviously really talk about claims or very sensitive information. You know, what I can say, uh, and I, I can talk a little bit about risk, but what I can say is that, you know, we, we have sensitive information and we look after it extremely well as a market. You know, it's it's very, very well protected because of the sensitive nature of that, and and which is which is why we obviously can't talk about it you know there are there are certain claims out there that are more in the public domain than others 
but um, I'll, I'll let others um, comment on those. I just want to go back for a moment because you've already mentioned the pandemic a couple of times. And obviously in 2020, event cancellation suddenly became event cancellation insurance suddenly became front page news, which um, is not something what one would say every day of the week. And kind of what, what one oft repeated fact was that Wimbledon had insurance that covered sort of cancellation due to the pandemic, but but many events didn't. Do you think that the event cancellation market was adequately prepared for COVID-19, for a pandemic? I mean, I don't think anyone was adequately prepared for it and certainly not even cancellation market. As I said earlier, it was an exclusion that you could buy back. And I don't think in the underwriting of that, there wasn't really any data points or anything that was used in order to calculate a premium for it based on a return period or aggregate or any aggregate management done by and large in this space, I would say. And when it happened, you know, nobody thought that it would go on for that long. I think, you know, people had a good idea and there was probably a underwriting appetite for communicable disease for a form of pandemic, you know, for a, let's say, you know, one to three months. And, and that was probably to some degree expected. But I think the majority of the market was completely called out when it happened and then how long it went on for. And, you know, in many aspects, I would say we were lucky because, you know, you'd be surprised how many risks actually still or excluded it at the time. You know, the certain certain events brought it back, but a lot of the risks, really the box standard risks, didn't have the communicable disease extension. Otherwise, the claim would have been, you know, a lot larger than it is. And I think it's probably somewhere between, depends on who you believe or which numbers add up the right way, but it's probably somewhere between five to 10 billion US dollars and compare that to a market that is maybe one to two annually worldwide. And that's obviously, you know, net written premium. You don't have to see what's the profit of that. And then you can get an idea of how long you have to write the class in order to make the money back. It's it's essentially impossible. And, you know, and if that's the case, then I don't really see how we can cover it. And because we have to be able to put a return period on it and we have to be able to manage our aggregates. And I don't think any of that was done before the pandemic. And what changes have there been as a result of the pandemic? I, I, I presume you've already mentioned the fact that pandemic cover is now not provided even as an extension to the policy. But you know, if, if another pandemic were to hit in, going to say five years' time, what would the be? Would it simply be uninsurable? Yeah, I think at the moment it is in the form that it was insured. It's, it's uninsurable. Would that change? I, I'm, I'm sure at some point in in some way. You know, I think you know as a player in this market, you if you want to ride it, you've got to have to cap it and say right if and and you know and you have to cap it to an event that you know you probably have to cap it to an event that just happened, right? So you're going to have to look at COVID nineteen and use that as your event and then say right, okay, what's the realistic return period of that event? And if it happens, what am I okay with to lose? And you know that's I think the only way how that is possible and then and then what's going to be the price for that you know i've seen um you know i've, I've 
or heard and seen um, researchers that think that this is a you know one in thirty event, you know, or that gives you a fairly high premium if you if you translate that into a percentage. Yeah, and you know, heaven help us if this is the case, but you know, there's always the possibility that there's there's something worse um, out there. I think I think that it was the the, the Roman the Roman writer uh, Lucretius who talked about the fact that you know it, it is it, it is the fool who thinks that the highest mountain that they've seen is the highest mountain that there is. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. In fact, you know, you say that you know you can actually there's actually some buybacks for COVID nineteen specifically now available because it is now perceived as something people just live with, right? So it's 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 not so much COVID nineteen. It is like what is the next and mm. You know how bad is it going to be? So yeah. Anyway, let, let's let's hope it doesn't happen. Um, right. Let, let's move on to prize indemnity now. And as I understand it, uh, prize indemnity is uh, yeah, and a, a, a classic example of that would be a, a golf competition where there's a, a massive prize if someone gets a hole in one, uh, and the organisers buy an insurance just in case someone actually achieves that hole in one and, and wins the big prize. Um, but kind of, is there anything else that you want to add um, about prize indemnity? Kind of any risks or any interesting claims that you've come across? Yeah, the market has grown considerably over the last few years, and really on the mathematical prize side. So this is this is here where you can actually you know really calculate your expected loss of the risk, you know, down to the to the dot. You know, like I mean, simple one: pick an envelope out of hundred envelopes that that has a price, right? You, you, you know what the expected <laughs> loss is on that, and then you've got your kind of game of skill, really. So where the price is related to some form of performance or a specific skill. You know, hole in one is that um, like a half court shot or hit the crossbar, and then you've got your really professional sports-related uh, price indemnity risk, and, you know, they're called contractual bonus in some instances as well. And, you know, you've got, you know, think about the World Cup, you know, the football World Cup, and think about, you know, certain teams that have player bonuses. And the outcome is then really dependent on a team's performance, you know, winning the World Cup or scoring a number of goals or, you know, winning the... Premier League or, or or whatever you know whatever competition it is and and you've got the, the vice versa as well you know the, the loss of revenue if teams are delegated this this is not something you, you can do in the UK because the Premier League doesn't allow it but in other European leagues you know and yeah and that really makes makes up the price indemnity space yeah I mean presumably if you if you insure anything against the risk of England winning a World Cup then then you, your, your your money is safe. I, I can't I can't say anything like you know I'm German right I'm half English but I, I grew up in Germany and over the last two World Cups I didn't have a lot to laugh so yeah uh, you me both <laughs> on, and, and on top of that I'm a Spurs fan so really there's it's there's no hope for me so uh, and finally I think the fifth category that you mentioned was uh, miscellaneous contingency so what on earth is that. If there's also weird and wonderful stuff in price indemnity, you're kind of going a step further on the on the miscellaneous side. It, it's it's really kind of a bucket for risk where you say well, that that doesn't really fit in any any of the other uh, ones. And you know, what, the, the most business that's really in there is over redemption, which is so you know take a like a retailer running a promotion saying if you trade your laptop in and then you get a two hundred 
pound discount or something like that, you know, and the over redemption of something is insured. So up to a certain percentage, it's basically self-retained. And if it goes above that, the insurers pick it up. And then um, some other things like death, disability and disgrace that we see to some extent uh, in, in the U.S., um, where it's really a, a collateral against a, a loan for players and something like transmission failure for large boxing events and stuff like that. Oh, so if the satellite link goes down or something like that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the money is generated by pay-per-view, right? So you know, if the people can't watch the fight, then you're most likely going to have to refund that. And you, you mentioned death, disability, and disgrace. What, what is that? Where the, the income of a particular business is based very closely on a particular celebrity, for example, and either they die or they're disabled or they're disgraced. Is, is that how it works? Yeah, correct. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Celebrity or, or or athlete, you know, could be a sports endorsement or could be linked to a bank loan. Okay, so so if a sports person who's advertising something used for sponsorship turns out to be, I don't know, a drugs cheat or something like that. Correct, yeah. So uh, how much, I mean, contingency has clearly changed quite a lot and has developed um, over the years. Um, but how, how do you, well, the, what are the main changes that you've seen over the last sort of five or ten years and, and what changes do you expect in the next five or ten years? Yeah, I mean, obviously over the last two years the market has changed considerably. We as a market are... Know a lot more, a lot better at looking at um, aggregate exposures now. What are what are systemic risks in in potentially in the book, and also using data that is available. You know, especially on the on the weather side of things. You know, whether the weather power is probably makes up 70 70 to 80% of all losses think of festival business for example outdoor events concerts and you know up until i would say 5 years ago there was very little you know real data analytics used in order to determine the expected loss for certain triggers and that really has changed over the last few years and, and, and needs to develop further because we need to make sure that we get that part right. And to conclude, Martin, what would you say, I mean, you came in from kind of a non-insurance background. So what, what would you say to someone who who's thinking about kind of forging a career in insurance? What, what bit of advice would you give them? Yeah, start with the basics. Unfortunately, you know, everyone has to go through it and it's a bit tough at the beginning, but, you know, make sure you, you, you know, really get the basics of it and also, you know, spend as much time as you can with claims departments. You learn an awful lot how wordings work and respond in the situation of the claim. At, at the end of the day, you know, the claim is essentially the product that we're selling and you've got to know how that works you you never stop learning in this area no day is like the other which makes it in, incredibly interesting but i could yeah really you know suggest to anyone that that wants to go into insurance like really really start with the basics get 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 the foundations in there and and then build on that don't don't do it the other way around thanks martin that was wonderful thank you so much for your time RPC Radio. Radio.
Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.